Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And today I want to begin with a reminder uh, that uh, there is a website associated with this podcast. It's called wealthformula.com. And uh, this uh, particular episode, of course, is uh, part of our back to school uh, series of wealth formula. And, um, and, and part of that also is in order to help you kind of understand, you know, what to look for when you are investing some thoughts and some ideas. And uh, along that lines, I do want to remind you that there is an investor club, an accredited investor club that you can sign up for uh, by going to wealthformula.com. Now, we have some active stuff going on there right now. So uh, if you are an accredited investor, meaning you make $200,000 a year or $300,000 if you're filing jointly or a million dollars net worth outside of your personal residence, then go check it out. Get on board. This is, uh, this is the time to do it. Worried about saving too little too late for retirement? The Wealth Accelerator may be exactly what you need. With the help of some of the oldest and most reliable insurance companies in the country, Wealth Accelerator allows you to take most of the upside of any good year in the stock market and use bank loans to magnify those returns significantly. And what if the stock market has a bad year? No need to fear. Wealth Accelerator is engineered so you don't participate in the losses of the market, no matter how bad of a year it is. Sounds too good to be true, right? But it's not. It's simply the same financial engineering that the ultra-wealthy have been doing for years. Now it's your turn. Check it out for yourself by going to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Today, I want to talk to you about uh, one of my, well, it's so odd to say this, but it's one of my favorite topics, okay? It's taxes, right? It is taxes. And for this episode of Back to School, I was hoping to have my friend Tom Wilwright, who's also you know known for being Robert Kiyosaki's tax advisor and CPA. He is also the author of this book called Tax-Free Wealth, which, believe it or not, is a really great read. I've read it two or three times myself, and it sounds ridiculous that somebody would read a book called Tax-Free Wealth and enjoy it two or three times, but I did. Tom's a really good writer, and I've learned a lot from Tom over the years after uh, having him as my own CPA, but 
Uh, this time, unfortunately, I couldn't. We couldn't connect in time, uh, so that we could get this uh, in time for this series. Um, in fact, we did connect in time, and it was totally my fault. There was a big technical glitch, and then you know I had to reschedule, and he can't do it till sometime in October. Blah blah blah. We'll still get him on. We'll talk about something else, but. Uh, instead of Tom, I am going to talk to you a little bit about the way I view taxes and what I know about taxes because, well, let me stop there. Before I do that, i got to give you my disclaimer. I am not a tax professional. I'm not a CAPA. Uh, I'm not an attorney. I'm just a surgeon, and I haven't even practiced surgery in almost eight years, so I'm barely even you know, a surgeon anymore. So who am I? I'm just a guy. I'm just a guy who hates paying taxes. And in some regards, the information you will get from me will be very powerful because it is because of my potent hate for for taxes uh, that uh, I am uh, very uh, vigorous in terms of uh, trying to understand how I can legally, again, legally, underline, underline, bold, not uh, pay as much in taxes because the reality is that there's a lot you can do. And I'm always amazed at how little people actually talk about taxes outside of uh, our space. I mean, when someone says they make a million dollars per year as a professional, that's a lot of money, right? Well, really, they make about half of that, which is still a lot of money, but it's half of a million. It's like a half a million. So think about it. It's not what you make, but it's what you keep. And that is so darn important and just amazing to me that uh, how little people think about it. I mean, it's like a business that does $100 million in sales uh, with a $90 million in ex- expensive. Now, that business doesn't actually make $100 million. That sounds great. It makes $10 million, which is a huge difference from $100 million, right? Wouldn't you rather make $700,000 per year and pay no taxes than $1 million and keep only $500,000 in ta- after taxes? Now, well, maybe you, maybe you wouldn't. I don't know. Maybe it's just cooler to say you make a million dollars a year even though you don't get to keep half of it. I don't know. I don't know. Is it a bragging rights thing? I don't really understand. So, you know, I, I watch a lot of football. And uh, I am a Minnesota Vikings fan. Unfortunately, they look terrible, terrible last couple of weeks here. Owen oh, 2 I'm hoping we tank now for like the likes of Caleb Williams or I don't know, the, the, the Deion Sanders kid or something like that. Some, some fantastic quarterback for the next decade so, you know, we can win a Super Bowl. But anyway, I watch a lot of football. And a lot of these guys, you know, they make, they might make like $20 million a year. Yeah, or something like that, but God, these poor guys, man, that is all all W two income, and they're getting their checks, and boom, half of it's going out the door right away. So again, twenty million is fantastic, sounds phenomenal, but so and so does ten million. But really, when they're saying twenty million, they're making about ten million, you know. But again, ten million is a lot too, so they can't complain. That's a that's a that's not a bad number. So. Why do you think, despite the fact that, you know, all these people make uh, this money and have huge amounts of it removed from uh, their paycheck, 
why do they always talk about the top line is how much they actually make? Well, maybe it's culturally ingrained. You know, the old saying, Ben Franklin, is that uh, nothing in, in life is certain except for death and taxes. Now, the death part for now is true, okay? Although, if you're listening to my other podcast, Sapio with Buck Joffrey, shameless plug, by the way, you might start seeing that we might be able to Houdini out of the grave eventually as well. And if you're not listening to Sapio with Buck Joffrey or watching it, why aren't you? Come on now. What's your problem? Anyway, taxes. Let's get back to taxes. Taxes is a lot easier uh, to avoid than death, at least as of now. And all you have to do is ask, like, Donald Trump, right? You don't have to like Donald Trump or dislike Donald Trump, um, whatever. It has nothing to do with that. The point is, you know, there was this whole issue of, like, well, how in the heck did he not pay any taxes? Well, you know, uh, the, the guy's got billions of dollars of real estate. I mean, and and all of that stuff ends up, creating a lot of paper losses, which we're going to talk about in a second. So, um, in fact, I think he actually made so little income that he actually qualified for the earned income credit, which is like for like people who have no money. It's pretty, uh, pretty funny. But, of course, we know the guy makes tons of money. And unlike, you know, the popular press would like to suggest, his lack of tax liability is actually pretty easy to explain without breaking the law now I, i'm not saying you didn't break the law i have no idea but it's pretty easy to do to explain how a huge real estate guy would not pay taxes again it's because he's a real estate guy now for those of you who don't know what the big deal is when i say he's a real estate guy let's take a step back and take a trip down the Memory Lane, that is Robert Kiyosaki's Cash Flow Quadrant. Now, if you haven't read this book, I would highly recommend it for a really good perspective on personal finance. In fact, I have to say that I first read it a few days after my surgical residency, and I credit it. I truly credit it for the lightning bolt that ran through my body, leaving me in the state of entrepreneurship for the rest of my life. Uh, and, and I'm not even kidding. And, and the funny thing is, if you read it, it's not like, you know, it's a step, step by step, you know, how to get rich book. This is a big picture kind of thing that just makes you go, oh my gosh, wow. I hadn't even realized what an entrepreneur was. I just, you know, here I'm trucking along as a surgical resident and all that stuff. And, and then it, it just woke me up and, and I woke up and I became an entrepreneur and it was kind of crazy, but that truly did happen to me. It was the purple pill, as I call it. Now, um, you know, I've met Robert Kiyosaki a few, t few times and, and I told him once, uh, I told him a story one time and, and it was funny. He, uh, he, his response was sort of unusual and then he said he felt kind of bad because we lost a doctor. Um, well, hey, I'm, I'm better off. Uh, for it. So I'm better off a sellout. Anyway, the cash flow quadrant is how Robert Kiyosaki describes how people earn money. And as it turns out, each quadrant does sort of get taxed differently, but maybe not in the way that you would think, right? It's let me explain. So in the upper left quadrant, in the upper left quadrant uh, is 
the W quadrant. And that's all you W-2 wage earners. You work for someone else, you get a paycheck, and half your money's gone before you ever get to see it in your bank account. W-2 income is the worst, right? It's taxed, it's taxed the highest, well, kind of. We'll get to that in a second. And you can't deduct much of anything against it. Why? Because it's, it's you know, because you, well, let's start with this. What is a deduction? Okay, going really basic, what is a tax deduction? And I know that you may be thinking, well, that's a really dumb question, and why are you even going there? But it just occurs to me that when I graduated from residency, when I was a brand-new uh, surgeon and I'd only had uh, stuff come out of my uh, paycheck, I didn't even know really what a deduction was. I really didn't. So anyway, real quick digression. When you pay taxes, you pay net income. That is after expenses. And if you work for someone else and get a W-2, you don't really have any expenses because you don't own a business. You don't, you know, so so why would you have any expenses? Maybe you get some, you know, a little thing here and there, you know, a couple hundred bucks, but whatever. And if you, so if you do get any deductions, they're pretty minimal and they're, and they're capped as well. Now, so W-2 wage earners, there's not much you can do with that income. You're, you're kind of stuck. Okay, now, Below the W category in that quadrant on the left side is the S category for self-employed. Now, Robert describes that as the doctors and private practice, for example, those who own a job. And what do I mean by they own a job? Some people think they own a business, right? They think they own a business. I'm a small business owner. But in reality, if they don't show up, there is no business, that means you don't own a business, you own a job, okay? And that's what an S is. So if you go on vacation, you don't get paid, you don't own a business, you own a job. Okay, clear. The biggest problem with this kind of setup is, well, there's lots of problems with it, but I mean, I would rather be that than the, the W-2, and I was. The biggest problem with this kind of setup is you not only pay regular taxes, but you also pay something called self-employment taxes. So say you're in the highest, you know, you're already paying 37% federal and you've got another who knows what uh, on the state side, like 12% if you're in California, something like that. Then self-employment taxes are 15.3% today. So add that on. Kind of crazy, right? So you're getting taxed 37%, then you tax another 15, 3, 15.3%, and then you add state tax probably, before you know it, you're over 50%. When you look at those numbers, you wonder, how is it legal? I mean, to me, it sounds more like theft, right? It sounds like government-sanctioned theft. Like, I work and you're going to take half of my money, right? It's insane. Try this when you're teaching your kids about taxes because... Kids inherently, um, you know, uh, I think they like the idea of, you know, they they like the idea of taxes and going and build schools and all that. So it's really important too, but I'm not saying it's not. But just to get them an idea, sometime, uh, you know, get them like a, uh, get them a cookie or something like that, and then um, and then take half the cookie and say it's taxes, and they'll kind of understand what that means anyway. So let's go back to this whole S uh, quadrant thing. 
on the left side. And this is why, you know, Robert says this is even almost worse to me, W-2, because all of a sudden you're paying not on, you're paying self-employment taxes. But here's the deal. Pro tip. Pro tip. Not that I'm a pro, but this is a pro tip because I have lived this. Minimize your self-employment tax by simply putting your practice in an LLC and getting taxes in S-Corp. Okay, that's all you got to do. You have to, you know, you have to pay yourself a little bit of a salary, maybe a little W-2 salary, and it's going to be a lot lower potentially than, you know, than your actual salary. Like, you know, it has to be commensurate with, like you're for a doctor, you know, make yourself a hundred grand. That seems fairly reasonable, right? Even if your practice is making 600, 700 grand, something like that. Bottom line is you can get away from that self-employment tax by being taxed as an S-corp. And it's amazing to me that not everybody does that and why everybody has got all this money on um, Schedule C. I don't want to get too technical, but listen, I'm no CPA, but if your CPA doesn't know what I'm talking about right now, it might be a good time to fire your CPA. By the way, there are a lot of terrible CPAs out there. You see, by nature, most of them are conservative. And that's not a good thing. Because in CPA parlance, another word for conservative is lazy or not too bright. You see, most of the tax code is not black or white. The tax code is a series of incentives. My friend Tom Wheelwright says that all the time. It's just a series of incentives that tell you how to save on taxes. If it's good for the government or it's good for the economy, then there's probably a tax break out there. But you've got to find it. And that takes a little work. And it's easier to say, no, no, I'm just very conservative if you're a CPA, right? I'm not even going to try is what that means. You know, I remember hearing about a great tax uh, guy out, out of residency and all of these doctors were saying, oh, this, that's the guy to go to. The other doctors say, uh, you know, they, 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 they say he's great. Well, why is he great? Well, they, he never gets audited. He never gets audited. Well, what do you think that means? I mean, let's, let's talk about that. Who gets audited? Rich people get audited. If you are rich, you're going to get audited. So please, you should be praying for an audit eventually because that means you're rich, right? People who get a lot of deductions might get audited, right? Because the IRS does want to make sure that you're doing things legally. And I'm not advocating for anything that's illegal, okay? You might have a perfectly legal million-dollar deduction, I've had that myself because of the magic of depreciation, which we'll talk about later. But yes, you might get you might get audited. Do most rich people get audited? Yes. Have I been audited? Yes. What was it like? Well, I don't know. The first time I was getting audited, I had like cold sweats, but I was young and I had no idea what that was all about. But as it turns out, I just had my tax attorney deal with it. And it was, as he described I don't know why you're so freaked out. It's just a negotiation, he said to me. Not scary. Why? Because I didn't break the law. I didn't do anything wrong. And so the IRS agent they looked at the low-hanging fruit like, you know, oh, gosh, it looks like you might be missing a, a receipt from a $50 lunch that you had. And, well, okay, yeah, I'll pay for that. That's not a bad, uh, not a bad trade. 
anyway, for, for making sure that I got all of the deductions that I deserve, you know, maybe I, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's not a bad trade, right? Pay the extra 20 bucks on that deduction and save a million. Uh, I'll pay those, no problem. And in return, I keep my legitimate, you know, huge deductions. That's that's the trade-off you're making. So when you hear about a CPA, he's so good he never gets audited. No, that's BS. You're if you if you are making a lot of money, there's a good chance you're gonna get you're gonna get audited. Um. Anyway, I digress. I had digressed for a while there actually. But now we've covered the left side of the cash flow quadrant, the undesirable side of the cash flow quadrant. Now, the right side of the cash flow quadrant of Robert Kiyosaki is, is the desirable quadrant. He talks about, uh, you know, the upper right is the business quadrant. And he's talking about here, he's not talking about your, you know, your, your little um, uh, doctor's office or whatever that we, we, we plebeians have. But he's talking about big businesses, you know, like Amazon, stuff like that. At least 500 employees or bigger, something like that. And the reason why it's good to be on that side is because technically the tax rate is lower for big businesses. Right now, I think it's about 21%. But more importantly, big businesses don't pay 21%. I mean, those businesses have plenty of deductions and they've got these, you know, they've got like a whole team of CPAs. You know, Jim Rickards talks about this uh, in his books about how he used to be one of those guys and they used to wheel and deal and they just decide how much tax they want to pay and then they work backwards and get there. Say, oh, we get debt, we should pay at least a million dollars in taxes since we have a $5 billion business here. So let's do that. And then they work backwards and then get it. Um, You know, bottom line is that that's why that is a very desirable thing. Okay, so here you are, you're listening to me. Okay, I'm, I'm uh, W2 here. I'm not, I don't own Amazon. What do I do, Buck? What am I supposed to do? Well, uh, Robert Kiyosaki might, uh, might tell you that if you are, you know, if you are in that W2, you know, that W quadrant or on the S quadrant, that you might try to figure out how you're going to get yourself onto that right side of the quadrant and again, it's going to be very difficult for you to become a big business guy. So ultimately, what you're going to want to do is get down to that lower right side of the quadrant, which is the investor quadrant. Now, the ideal situation in this uh, scenario, if you think about it, is to shunt as much money from the left side of the quadrant into the investor quadrant because that. That's where there are a ton of tax benefits to be had. And you are, you've already paid taxes on this money, right? So you want to try to avoid as much as possible to pay taxes on it again. That's what I hate about capital gains, frankly, because it's sort of like, you know, you've already made the investment and why should you, you know, why should you have to, uh, you know, you, you put money in with after-tax dollars, why should you have to pay on your profit as well? But it is just what it is, right? Now, um, that lower right quadrant, that investor quadrant, is going to always be favorable compared to, you know, anything on the left. 
I mean, even if you're a stocks and bonds guy, the taxes you pay on that stuff, well, it's long-term capital gains, right? So it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Now, if you're into real assets like real estate, for example, that's where the fun really begins and where you can really see why this is, you know, really hard to beat, right? And this is where we start talking about income buckets because that's going to be a big part of why uh, this investor quadrant uh, is is important to understand and where you too can 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 come out ahead. So you know what active income is. It's blood and sweat. Income comes on your W two, whatever. If you have a if you ha- if you're an S person, you know if you're self you have your self employed situation, whatever. You know what active income is. You work for it, right? And then. There's a different kind of bucket of income called uh, portfolio income, and that's your stocks and bonds and ETFs. And even though it's passive, uh, you know, the problem with it is it's not really looked at uh, by the IRS as what is actually designated passive income. It is portfolio income. Okay, that's an important thing. Stocks, bonds, ETFs, all that kind of stuff, mutual funds, portfolio income. It is not considered, quote unquote, passive income because, uh, and that is important because passive income is where the magic is. Now, what is passive income? It's money from, say, real estate. You know, you get like, uh, maybe you get distributions from real estate. Maybe you get, you sell real estate. It's passive income if you made a profit. Um, In our case, we have the uh, WF Velocity ATM fund. That is uh, that's passive income, right? The reason this stuff is so valuable is because you can use, now this is, this is the important part, you can use passive losses to offset passive income. So what is passive loss? Passive loss is depreciation, typically. What that means is uh, the IRS is a funny thing with real estate. You have, if you have an asset and you buy it, it, you buy real estate, typically it goes up in value, right? Well, the IRS um, looks at any real uh, real thing that you buy, like real property or, or, or whatever, office income, whatever, and, and it puts a clock on it that says, that kind of counts down, like how long it's actually going to have any value. So, with an ATM, for example, it's like five years, right? Like, you know, any personal property, it's like five years depreciation. So you get to write off, you know, 20% of it per year. Uh, in in real estate, uh, in multifamily real estate, for example, it's 27 and a half years. And um, so in real estate in particular, what's interesting is, that um, you can do something called a cost segregation analysis. And that splits real estate into real property and personal property. Personal property, as I mentioned, in the context of ATMs, can be depreciated at five years. And the rest of the real property is 27 and a half years. Now, typically, uh, what I have found in multifamily real estate is that it's usually... Uh, split out to be about 30% personal property, 70% real property. That's usually it comes out. And that's not 
giving you some advice, by the way, that's just from me doing literally, I don't know how many cost segregation analysis. What's important about that is what you can do with it. Okay, so now um, if you put, okay, so let's, let's talk about bonus depreciation now. We have personal property. We're depreciating at five years. We said ATMs were personal property. We said the personal property component of a cost segregation analysis in real estate is depreciated at five years. Uh, right now, um, for the last few years, we've had these laws called bonus depreciation, which takes that, you know, that, that personal property component and allows you to depreciate it much faster than five years. Now, for the last couple of years, it was 100% in the first year, which was crazy, right? Like in the context of real estate, think about it this way. If 30% was, uh, if 30% was personal property and you got to write off that entire 30% in the first year, well, how much is the usual down payment on real estate? about 30%. So literally you're you you were writing off like all of your in, investment. It was kind of crazy. Now, this year it's 80%. So it's still really attractive, but it's, you know, it's not 100%. So what happens now is say you have um um you know, say you have a uh, $100,000 investment in ATMs or whatever you're going to end up being able to depreciate 80% of that in the first year, you get a you know $100,000 or an $80,000, uh, negative $80,000 K1, and then the rest of it, the, less, the rest of the 20000 will depreciate over the next uh, four years after that. So anyway, that is, uh, that is the world of depreciation. And it is really, so that depreciation though can only be used against other passive income. Okay, so that is really, really, really important. And that's why, you know, us real estate investors or we should call ourselves a real asset investors because it's anything, you know, it's personal property as well, have such a huge benefit in taxes compared to others. Okay, so uh, again, this is the magic of depreciation and it can only be experienced by investors who put money into real stuff because the IRS considers real stuff to get old and depreciate, even though in the case of real estate, it often goes up in value. I'm reiterating that because it's important. But remember, passive losses like depreciation can only offset passive income. And that is the case unless... You are what is known as a real estate professional. That is an IRS designation. It doesn't mean you're a real estate agent. Not at all, actually. So don't run and get your real estate license. A real estate professional is someone who puts at least 750 hours of material time into real estate per year who does not do another job that is more time than real estate. So you could be managing property, managing property managers, Looking for more property and underwriting, you get the idea. Anyway, make sure you check with your tax professional to confirm what I'm saying. But once you hit the criteria criteria for real estate professional designation, it's kind of like the holy grail. You see, for real estate professional, depreciation is no longer considered a passive loss. The passive losses become activated. 
Okay, so if you if you now have all this depreciation released as active losses, any income generated by a real estate professional can be offset by depreciation from real estate, and it can be your spouse too. So if you make five hundred thousand dollars as a W two employee, your wife is a uh, a real estate professional and you buy a property, do a cost segregation analysis and bonus depreciation like we talked about and end up with $400,000 in depreciation, guess what? Take your $500,000 in income, subtract her $4,000 in depreciation losses, bada bing, bada boom, you pay taxes on only 100000 and you get a massive tax uh, refund to spend on your next property. So, as you can imagine, real estate investing can be rather addictive. Actually, uh, you know, any tax advantage investment like ATMs become addictive because when you invest in them with passive income, not only do you get the returns on them, but you also get the returns from not having to pay taxes on on uh, that money that you invested, right? I mean, that's the thing that's crazy. So this makes it hard for someone like me, who is a real estate professional, to invest in anything else. Case in point, I like Bitcoin. But if I buy Bitcoin, I don't get a tax advantage, like taking 80% deduction on the amount I invest. So when I'm thinking about buying Bitcoin, I think of not only the price of Bitcoin, but also the additional cost of taxes I will need to pay on the money that I use to buy the Bitcoin. So it makes it a lot more expensive, right? ATMs, WF, uh, WF Velocity ATM fund that we have. The re- one of the reasons I really like this is ATMs are easy for me because I have the same advantage with depreciation on my passive income. Depreciation is my favorite word in the IRS code, and now you know why. Okay, so that's the cash flow quadrant and what you will find within Investor Club, which you really ought to join if you're an accredited investor. Where we, that's where we do deal flow in the vast majority of time. We're going to be doing tax advantage investments because it's hard for me to stomach any other kind of investments. Again, speaking of which, make sure you sign up for Investor Club at wealthformula.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast Special Back to School Edition. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. 
Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.